Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Big week. It's that time of year again. Everybody's really excited about it. The kickoff of the NFL season that may generate about $22 billion, $6 billion on television with average franchise values, by, by the way, about $2.5 billion. The NFL is in pretty good shape. Always be better. But let's see if it's really in good shape in the hinterlands as well as everywhere else. A.B. Tenery, our editor and sports guru for digital. Amy, how are you? You're a football fan. This should be a great time of year for you. I'm so great. I am I'm thrilled to talk football. Uh, I'm even better because as we are taping now, it's actually Thursday and my New England Patriots are going to kick off in uh, just a matter of four hours. So I'm, I'm on cloud nine. And as we tape, my Miami Dolphins are hibernating as I am and Millions of South Floridians and Floridians, and let's see what happens with Irma. I know as this is posted, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, we'll all come out on the other side and everything will be fine. And the NFL has always been a healer and a healing agent, as we see with the Texans from Harvey. But maybe not so in Southern California. You know, a year ago, the L.A. Uh, uh, City pulled out all the stops to lure a team back to Southern California. But, but now they got two. And maybe one of them is not going to do as well as the other. The fight for L.A. seems to be won by the Rams. We'll get Kevin Demoff's perspective at the end of this podcast. What do you think now that the Chargers and the Rams are sharing a facility and sharing the hearts and minds of L.A.? Well, yeah, I mean, they. I'm not so sure if they're sharing so much as the, the, the Chargers are kind of the third wheel here. You know, the Rams obviously were in Los Angeles for decades before they moved to St. Louis. So them coming back to Los Angeles is really more of a welcoming home party. The Chargers, to me, feel a little bit like a square peg in a round hole. Not only do they have the disadvantage of coming after uh, another, you know, established franchise has moved into the city, but they don't really have any kind of... Uh, you know, legacy there. Obviously, when they first, you know, became part of the league, they were the the Los Angeles Chargers, but then they moved after a year. So I'm not really sure what their fan base is supposed to be. Now, obviously, the Rams didn't put up a great uh, season last year. So, you know, maybe there's one or two uh, disillusioned Rams fans who are going to go to the Chargers. But I I just don't get it. I don't get, you know, where these people are going to come from. But the the bigger question in my mind that I want to sort of put back on you is in, in the grander scheme, we've got the Oakland Raiders, uh, soon to be uh, Las Vegas Raiders. The team ownership has put, you know, has made a huge gamble here in moving that team uh, eastward. Um, if you are that ownership, are you looking at the situations going right down right now with the Los Angeles Chargers and you're thinking, oh man, we've made a huge mistake? Well, I'm not so sure about the huge mistake part, but but you've got to be able to factor in a year or two of really significant losses, ego-wise and financially, mm-hmm. as you play your lame duck status. And you know what you do? You just focus on the greater good. Now, for the Chargers, uh, it's ironic as a Dolphin person, the Dolphins will basically open up their season mm-hmm. at the new 
remotely converted or small StubHub center, that 30,000-seat uh, place in L.A., where the Chargers are going to call home for a couple of years while the building of the new stadium continues. The Rams play in the Coliseum. Uh, the Raiders will play in Oakland, but everybody understands that it's a stopgap until they get their new stadium in Vegas. So listen, over a 30-year period, the Rams, the Chargers, the Raiders are going to be okay, mm -hmm. and that's what the numbers look like. But in the short term, you can't convince the fans that temporary is a good thing. Yeah, part of me also wonders, you know, why didn't they just wait until the new stadium was, was built and they could have this court you know this big coronation and um and really have their have themselves established in the city instead of doing this kind of temporary uh stadium deal i don't know maybe i'm being too cynical here well you're not being cynical but you're asking the right question and the bottom line answer of all the relocations that i've seen the uh the titans after they moved from houston the cardinals after they moved from st louis the fans really don't like to play uh, uh, favorites in a lame duck situation where they know they're not going to have their team long term. So they'll be angry fans. They would yeah. have been angry in San Diego. They will be angry in Oakland. And the bottom line of it all is they've got to get out, cut their losses, play in a small building, understand they're going to lose some money for a couple of years, though, but they'll make it up in the long term. Right. And I think that's what the conventional wisdom is. But don't ask the players to play in front of conventional wisdom because they're not going to like it. <laughs> and, by the way, speaking of playing in front of people, let's talk about some social media issues. Snapchat changing the way sideline reporters do their jobs. More importantly, Snapchat has become a part of the NFL experience, telling stories, taking viewers into those experiences. But the whole notion of Snapchat and the NFL relationship, what's your take on it? Well, I'm obviously I'm biased because I happen to love using Snapchat, and I also happen to love the NFL. Um but, but I think this is a great a great program. You know, they did some of this kind of content last year where they would create Snapchat stories around games and they would blend not only professional video uh, from the sidelines and um, but also from the fans. And so it gave you this really holistic uh, viewing experience of not only seeing what's happening on the ground, but also seeing what the fans are doing, people partying, people crying. Um, and, and then they also had highlights uh, that they would have best catches of the week, stuff, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I think this is great that they're expanding it. I think it's uh, absolutely the demographic they need to be going after because, as we all know, Snapchat skews toward high school, college age uh, social media users. And then, you know, there's 32-year-old me who's uh, trying to use it as well. But I think it's a great reporting tool. I think it's a great fan experience. Um, the, the only kind of hang-up I have, and maybe you can speak to this, I'm not sure how this is going to translate into, uh, you know, translate from the Snapchat screen to the TV screen. Are, are you know, are, are these Snapchat users actually going to put down their phones and turn on the games? Or is this going to become kind of like a fallback for people who are just trying to catch up? And and more to that point, how is the NFL really going to monetize this? I mean, advertising is tricky on Snapchat. People can just click through it. So uh, do you think that this is going to kind of translate into actual dollars and cents when all is said and done? Well, you know, very, very good question, TBD. It is yeah. with new content. It'll be used before games to allow fans to see exactly what's happening with their favorite players on the field. They can see them warming up there, putting on their equipment. Hopefully it'll be later in the equipment as opposed to the early stages. All right. And preparing for the, con the contest at hand. And so, you know, all social media specialists for all 32 teams 
are providing best practices ideas. So the answer, glibly, is I don't know how they're going to monetize it, but they're sure going to try to come up with some really unique content that is now much different than today. And then, you know, a great segue into a kind of the final issue of what let's call our NFL special today is Twitter to Amazon. The NFL is now streaming with the Amazon Prime folks, Amazon Video, been able to acquire premier games over the course of the NFL season, leading to millions of projected viewers on Thursday nights alone. And so we now have Amazon streaming Thursday nights as the season gets going. So what do you think of that as a social media expert as far as NFL content is concerned? Oh, I mean, last season, you know, I covered this a little bit in my reporting, and I was really impressed by the quality of the video that was on Twitter, but it just wasn't backed up by viewers. I think the key problem is that Thursday Night Football is it airs nationally. So you're never going to be, you know, a Jacksonville fan living in Chicago and, oh, this is the only way you can get the game. You're going to get the game regardless. So the only people who would really need this kind of streaming functionality on their mobile phones, in my mind, would be people who don't have access to a television. Well, that's, you know, becoming uh, less and less of reality when there's a sports bar in every corner or the TV in your living room. So I think the key issue for Amazon, and you can tell me if you disagree here, is is trying to convince people that a viewing experience on Amazon is somehow superior to a viewing experience on uh, just a regular network airing the NFL game. I really don't know how they're going to do that. Um, I would be fascinated to see if they, you know, add some other features to it. Maybe, I don't know, bring in some interviews that you're not going to see on, on, on the regular TV networks. Um, again, I hate to say TBD like you did, but you know, I'll believe it when I see it, when they can actually get these, these viewers in. I don't, what do you think? Well, I think, again, it's all about the unique content. We were talking about Snapchat and Mm -hmm. the fact that you can see your favorite players getting ready. So if they marry the concept of unique content with the the new distributional entrepreneurialism of Amazon and Amazon Prime, now you got something. And I think the real key for the NFL, to me, is to test the market and to expand their leverage, meaning that if Snapchat and Facebook and all of these guys together – are trying to figure out how to get into the NFL, and the NFL is trying to expand its world of viewership and bidding. You don't just have in the future next television cycle the Foxes and the NBCs and ABC and ESPN, but you have all of these other companies that used to not be part of the bidding process. If you didn't think so, look at Sunday Ticket, DirecTV, what they've done. And all it means is increasing the rights fees for everybody because they're bidding on it. And so... I do think it's a combination of content as well as an opportunity to bid, but it's a really good question, and as you and I both know, it's all about the money, which is a great segue from the Rams leaving and now coming back to L.A. for now their second season. But Kevin Kevin Demoff is a COO and EVP of football operations, but he's actually the brains behind implementing Stan Kroenke's move from St. Louis. He's entering his eighth season He's the top front office executive. He's the one that's planning that 300-acre sports entertainment complex that's going up. He works closely with Les Snead, the GM, that's trying to get uh, the, the, the Rams to be competitive, 40 under 40 member, sports business journal. More important, he merges sports business with facility development, with running the Rams, and our, I think our football special is really good in targeting Kevin Demoff, as he begins his season, 
but also beginning of the NFL season, Kevin Demoff. Kevin Demoff, CEO, EVP Football Operations for the for the Rams. But it's so much more. There's a better title because now you're doing a whole lot more stuff. How are you? I'm good. But I, you said a three billion dollar stadium. If it's three billion, I'm fired, and yeah, you know, my my boss wouldn't be so happy. So we're well, still, hopefully it's two and a half. But we're, let's, we're let's, in the realm. Let's say the economic impact surrounding such an incredibly significant piece of property that will now be the most important sports catalyst in the world will bring the total up with other people's money as well. Is that, is that better? It, that, that's perfect. That, that's a great way. <laughs> At least I don't lose as much sleep over that. <laughs> well, but it's really going to happen. I mean, you guys, in terms of what you've done and made that commitment and what your boss, Mr. Kroenke, was able to do to put the deal together will be a textbook example of how to do a deal. It's amazing. When you sit here today in March of 2017 yeah. and think about Stan's vision for what Hollywood Park could become from a transcendent stadium, a world-class sports and entertainment district, 300 acres of real estate in Southern California, the largest entitled real estate project in Southern California, trying to harness the power of what we're talking about here at Sloan, which is the right. world of sports business, how it grows, how you connect with the fan, with a great real estate venture. It'll be great to see come to fruition. So, uh, obviously, well, tell me as somebody who's been kind of in the business of stadiums for so long, do you feel like you're halfway home, 60% home, 10% home, depends on the day. I, I about 5% home. You know, we, we have just basically finished digging the largest hole in North America, 100 feet deep by roughly 20 acres wide. Just our stadium will start to rise out of that hole when you fly in out of LAX and you see the massive... Seismically okay? Seismically did you, did you okay. start some issues? Well, you know, LA has gotten a bunch of rain, no earthquakes so far, right. so we haven't had to test it seismically. But you you start to envision what it can become. The hard thing is in you know, 30 months, you're going to have a stadium. And from where this project started a couple of years ago to watch 300 acres be prepared to dig the hole to build the stadium, so much of our time is focused on the stadium, but not just the nuts and bolts. We have great partners in HKS and Turner yeah, Hunt who do that. But really, what's it going to be like for the fan who comes for the first time to enjoy the Rams, to come for the Super Bowl, to come for hopefully the 2024 Olympics? That's what keeps us up at night every day. And so there was a bunch of considerable interest about your co-tenant and who it would be. Are you happy with the Chargers deal? Thrilled. I, it's great. You know, from the beginning, you, if you go back to June of 2012, Commissioner Goodell sent out a memo to all teams interested in Los Angeles that said his goal was an iconic two-team stadium that could credibly host a sports and entertainment district. And I think that's always where we started. And so we sit here today, five years later, with a iconic, hopefully, two-team stadium at the heart of a world-class sports and entertainment district. And I think the Chargers really coming, it cements the fact what people know. This is an unbelievable project. Los Angeles is a terrific market and a terrific NFL market. Well, and the other interesting thing, Every deal that I've ever seen when a team has left to go somewhere else, nobody ever thinks that they were treated well in the city that was leaving. Do you feel good about the exit? Pro nobody can feel great about the emotion of it, but do you feel uh, good about the, the exit process in St. Louis? Good's not the right word. Okay. You know, it's hard to take a team out of a market. Yeah. And I, the emotion, you know, the civic pride that goes with that is something that you never feel good about. Right. You know, this being a business decision and how it all played out. But I think the difference for us was 
the, the Rams have been in Los Angeles for 49 years. They had gone the opposite route. They had left Los Angeles. That was hard. I think coming back was the right decision at the right time for our franchise. And to be welcomed back by the fans of Los Angeles, having been without a team for 22 years, with the Rams, you know, go back in time, the Rams were the first professional sports team in Los Angeles to be welcomed back that way, to see the response this year with 90,000 people in the Coliseum. I don't think anybody will ever feel good about leaving the market or proud, but I think we're very excited about the return to Los Angeles. HKS and their ongoing pursuit of excellence, and we don't want to do a leading question here, but Dallas and Indianapolis and Minnesota, y'all are happy with what they're doing, I assume. Fantastic, and I think the one thing that's, when we first partner with HKS, that's terrific about their buildings is they're all cutting edge, but they all look vastly different. When you walk into US Bank Stadium in Minnesota, it feels like a Viking stadium. When you walk into Lucas Oil, where we just worked for the past week for the Combine, it feels like Indianapolis. Yeah. Dallas obviously you know, set the standard for you know, what a really modern, large-scale building will look like, and we're hopeful we'll be able to push the envelope. But what excites me about what HKS does, with all the stops and starts in Los Angeles, there are people who have worked on those buildings and said, this is the first truly Los Angeles-looking stadium right. that had been designed, and I give HKS a ton of credit for their vision. And Without their vision, I think it would have been hard for us to show the NFL what we could do and to win the race for Los Angeles. So let's talk about Olympics relative to the race to Los Angeles. So best of all worlds, I would guess, if you look at the L.A. bid, so you look at the Paris bid, they don't have a $2.5 billion stadium at the end of the celebration with the iconic Coliseum opening. I assume it's a good thing, and you feel good about playing a role in that whole effort. You know, when, I, when we were going through this process, Casey Wasserman, my former boss, was always excited because the plan for sustainability of an Olympic movement in Los Angeles, using existing buildings, I think to be able to build a world-class stadium that can host the opening and closing ceremonies working with the Coliseum gives Los Angeles a huge advantage because it's a stadium that would be built as an Olympic stadium, a modern stadium, but without the cost of doing it for the Olympics. And I think it also, that private investment in the Los Angeles sporting community shows the IOC and the rest of the world what kind of sports market Los Angeles is, what kind of modern market Los Angeles is, and really helps shape the bid and influence it. They've done a ton of great work. I think Los Angeles would have been a terrific bid proponent, even without our stadium coming on board, but we think it just makes it that much better. Meet PR, Angela Ruggiero, um, who's wonderful as the chief strategy officer, has a saying when we did our interview that the time it takes to build a stadium is now devoted to making the athletes feel more comfortable and all because we don't have to build one. So she's <laughs> sending a couple of interesting messages there. You know, I, I think one of the things that we were fortunate enough to do was to really take this concept of a sports and entertainment district, which would be an Olympic Village type concept, really offered up to the LA24 bid as part of what they were already doing. And I think one of the things when you look at from an athlete, you always want a chance to compete in the world's greatest venues and, and iconic venues. And I think when you look at what Los Angeles has to offer, iconic venues like the Coliseum, like the Rose Bowl, new venues like ours, like the new LAFC stadium that's coming on board, right. you know, like some of the Staples Center. I think that's really a great blend and for the athletes the ability to stay at UCLA to host those things I think it's a really fantastic bid and I give Casey Angela Gene Sykes and the crew a lot Everybody. of positive you know kudos for that all right let's uh, talk uh, let's shift gears a little bit let's talk about on the field uh, any additional pressure in creating a different timeline and expectation uh, about the Rams a because 
you haven't been that good for so long, and B, because of the new stadium? Yeah, I, I think there's always pressure to win. I think there's new pressures. You go to sell a $2.5 billion stadium that combines that. And when you look at the success of a team like the Falcons this year, moving a new building and having a Super Bowl right. run, you know, what the 49ers were able to do with their conference championship and Super Bowl run, it's a great help to your building to be a successful team. But I think for us to come back and be successful in Los Angeles, both as a local brand and using our platform as Los Angeles to be a worldwide brand, we have to have that success on the field. We have visions of being a great global brand, of using our stadium, our market, you know, in the history of the Rams to grow around the world. It's one of the reasons we played in London. We have desires to play in Mexico, desires to play in China. But to become an iconic brand, you have to win. And I think first and foremost, that's what we look at. And when you come down, a sports team at the heart of the matter is about engaging fans, putting a great product on the field. We're, we're thrilled with adding Sean McVay to the fold to lead that charge for us. And we think there's a bright future on the field for us in Los Angeles as well. This is an analytic conference. We're heading to the draft. <laughs> now you're going to go into the bunker for the next four weeks, five weeks. Is there stuff that you learn at this kind of conference that helps you in the draft? Absolutely. I think when you come to these kinds of events, you're always trying to figure out how to gain a competitive advantage. We have a group we affectionately call the Nerd's Nest, um, nestled away in our building, uh, a group of very talented individuals who try to find any advantage they can, combing through data from the combine, historical yeah. precedents for players. And we rely on that to help shape the decisions. When we get into a tie between players, you always want to look back at what makes players successful. It doesn't change the elements of what a scout sees when they're up close, how you measure character, yeah. how you measure drive, but it really provides you a roadmap. And the people at this conference are always on the cutting edge. And if you can't innovate and learn every day in sports or in any business, you're not going to get better, and that includes the draft. And clearly, when you look at the cacophony of noise over here, they're all talking about their own can't miss idea. There's not one person here who doesn't have a great idea. No, they, they all have great ideas. They all can tell you who we should draft, and I'm sure in hindsight, yeah. they'll all be great decisions. And they'll all be right for the for, for their own time and their own Absolutely. Money, which is kind of interesting from that perspective. So in terms of dealing with agents, you learned how to deal with agents when you were, what, two, three? <laughs> I, I, probably sooner than that, uh, you know, yeah. six months, right? Right. When you were so, being told to stop crying by an agent, it's not the first time I heard it, and it won't be the last. Talk about, for people that don't know, talk about your, your, your dad, your, your family, and that kind of the history there. I was fortunate enough to grow up. My father was one of the, the pioneering sports attorneys. Absolutely. And, you know, in the, in the 1970s, and really grew up listening to the other side of the phone, and I wound up a family trader going into management as opposed to being, you know, on the player side. Oh, wait, time out. Does he think you went over to the dark side? Yes. Are you okay? 100%. <laughs> he told me to go to the dark side, but it is still the dark side in our house. But, you know, I always grew up at the edge of the bed listening to my father on one side of the conversation and trying to envision what the other side was saying. And it gave a, a great perspective, I think, to our organization about, you know, agents are not the enemy. Uh, there are partners in securing the services of our best employees, which are our talent. And to us, it is a fantastic working relationship, but you learn the business at a young age. You know, you're always trying to improve, you're always trying to get better, but when you can have uh, someone in your family who's one of the great pioneers, one of the great mentors in sports, it, it is a terrific competitive advantage. Well, and you probably won't want to say it, maybe I can, you can echo it, after the stadium gets done and after you continue the arc of improvement and there are free agents out there, the fact that their agents know that there is a history of agency in your family, that doesn't hurt either. 
I, I think one of the things that's always given us a help with is we understand the agent side. All deals need to be win-win. They need to be fair. And that's a very, you know, cliche perspective. But when you grow up looking for common ground and understanding the value that agents provide, the service they provide to the players, I would hope that that doesn't differentiate us from our peers. A lot of our peers have great respect for the really talented agents, but it helps us in our mindset always trying to problem solve. And it's no different what we're here at Sloan trying to do. Everything in life is problem solving. You have to put yourself in the shoes of the customer, of the agent, of the fan, of the media network of how you can partner with them to best help the Rams. Shoes of a cynical and competitive and fractionalized and everybody from somewhere else, Los Angeles as well. The Lakers looking a little better, maybe just in terms of who they hired and everybody else. Are you, uh, uh, do you feel like you're competing with all of those folks or are they compatible? Do the tides lift all boats? I think in Los Angeles you find tides lift all boats. And, and I think it's a market, when you look at the size of the market, both domestically, internationally, you look at the buildings, you look at the history of the fan base. There are two professional teams from every league, every major league, two major universities. I don't view this competition. It's a terrific sports market. But you're competing with the beach, you're competing with Hollywood. And I think the one, the other part that people mistake about Los Angeles, I'll call it a front-running town, is because so many people come from other places. Yeah. They bring their fandom from the Northeast, from the Midwest, out to Los Angeles. Good thing, bad thing for you. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. I think there's great passion in the market. What it does is, this conference will tell you competition is good right. and it makes all of us better. We have great friends at all the other teams and for us it's about learning. When you're in an environment when you can learn from nine other good franchises and two other great universities, it should make you smarter and better about what you do. Is Jared Goff going to be uh, reaching hit? When, when does he reach his potential? I, I've got someone in here running that algorithm right now to find out when Jared Goff's going to We'll figure Goff's that one out, all right? We're going to suspend this until we figure that <laughs> yeah, out. We're, we're gonna if it were only that simple, right? <laughs> if it was only that simple, but... Uh, you know, I think one of the things, he went through a tough rookie year, but we have a great coaching staff in place now on the offensive okay. side of the ball. But also, if you look back at his history at Cal, 1-11 his freshman year, took him their first bowl game in nearly you know, a decade. I think he's going to have that success, confident, excited about where we're going, and really ready to take a leadership role, and couldn't be more excited to have him as our starting quarterback. So finally, if, if, uh, if Kevin Demoff is asked to label himself is it uh, uh, stadium and real estate developer now is it uh, uh, f uh, son of a uh, of a successful sports agent is it the guy that runs the franchise on on the field is it psychiatrist is it politician is it all of that what, what is it I think it, hopefully it's a teammate for everybody in our organization and on our stadium project to help us achieve the goals that we want and help us achieve Stan's vision all of that may play into it uh, but the better teammates we can be, you know, as a staff, as an organization, as a real estate company, as a content provider, the more success we're going to have. You are awesome, and I may become a Rams fan eventually. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer, Alex Cohn. Associate producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, and Ronnie Sokatch. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.